Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The overwhelmed brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, the host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. Every week I discuss practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve yourself and your relationships. We'll talk about why we do the things we do and what we can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. I'm here to help you create positive changes in your world. Expect to feel empowered in every episode. And if you ever hear me sound cynical... It's because I do whatever it takes to help you get the resources you need to create the life you want. Today's episode is all about how to handle humiliation. And it's really about embarrassment and humiliation and situations that we get into that are embarrassing and humiliating. But I'm going to share with you the several ways that you can handle it and even how to avoid feeling it all together. Humiliation is one of those events in life that when it happens... We just want to curl into a ball and hide from the world. But why? What's the big deal? Can humiliation exist without anyone else knowing what happened? In other words, can we feel humiliation when there's no one else around? Or is it dependent on other people knowing about the situation? If you've ever felt humiliation, you know it's a feeling you don't like. In fact, it might be the very reason you avoid doing things like public speaking or taking charge of a project or a group or raising your hand when you think you know the answer to a question. Whatever it is for you, humiliation trickles from wanting to feel significant, but it's truly grounded in fear. Fear of what though? Fear of feeling insignificant? So many questions <laughs> and the show really hasn't gotten off the ground yet. But we'll go over humiliation and what it takes to not only learn how to recover from something humiliating, but also how to prevent humiliation from occurring in the first place. So whether you trip in front of someone or spill grape juice on your clothes right before an important speech you're about to give, or someone posts a video of you intoxicated trying to eat a hamburger, <laughs> the steps to avoid humiliation will be laid out in this episode. What you may not expect to learn is that in order to avoid humiliation altogether, you'll need to embrace the faults of others. I could tell you to just be comfortable being imperfect, but there's a much deeper process of seeing yourself through the eyes of others that I'll walk you through. It sounds like a strange process, doesn't it? Seeing yourself through the eyes of a person laughing at you or gossiping about you. It's not what you think, though. I'll open the door soon and we'll get to the good stuff shortly. Speaking of humiliation, let me share a story with you. When I was about 26, my younger brother and I went inline skating. Some people call it rollerblading. It was a beautiful, sunny day, and we were having a great time. We came across this empty parking lot that was next to another parking lot about six feet lower, separated by a grassy hill. We decided that it would be fun to gain some speed and jump from one parking lot to the next. 
After all, by doing this, it would certainly prove something. <laughs> what it would prove is still a mystery to me to this day, but we knew we had to prove to ourselves that we could jump this gap. Well, I decided to go first. I skated to the back of the parking lot so that I could pick up speed and clear this gap. It may have been six feet high, but it was also about eight feet long. So it was important to have enough room to gain enough speed to clear it. It was either going to be a spectacular landing or a painful crash. <laughs> well, I pushed off and skated towards it at full speed. And as I neared the gap, I jumped. No pads or helmet or anything. And I actually landed it perfectly. The obligatory screams of accomplishment from both myself and my brother filled the air. <laughs> Next, my brother took his spot to start the same run. I grabbed the video camera to film this soon-to-be-amazing landing, which, of course, he was absolutely destined to land perfectly now that he saw I could do it. So with my camera in hand, he gained speed, jumped at the right time, came down for a landing, and his right foot hit the next parking lot perfectly. But his left foot caught the grass and dirt and sunk in, creating an anchor, causing him to do an immediate split. As he tried to recover, he fell over and landed on his face. He immediately looked up at me towards the camera, which is when I saw the blood on his mouth. I put the camera down and inexplicably started laughing hard. I was laughing so hard, I was crying. My brother's fall seemed so comical to me that it overcame my compassion and concern. I mean, I immediately skated over to help him, but could not hold back the laughter. The whole scene was an almost choreographed physical comedy scene. I kept laughing even after seeing that his lip got cut and the blood was getting everywhere. It looked worse than it was, but it was still a real pain that my brother was enduring. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about humiliation and embarrassment and shame and other feelings we get when unexpected things happen in our lives. These feelings come from a deeper place within us. Wouldn't it be nice if it was impossible to be humiliated? Maybe it is. Let's find out how. So let's define humiliation so we have a place to work from. Humiliation has two definitions, really. One is the feeling of embarrassment about something you did or something that someone pointed out about you, especially in front of others. The other definition is when someone is doing the pointing out. In other words, you are either humiliated or humiliating, depending on the position you take on. These aren't the official definitions, of course, but I prefer to stay away from terminology if at all possible. But it's interesting to note, humility derives from the word humble, which, when you follow the etymology or the origination of the word, it literally means on the ground. It just seems appropriate in a way, since when you trip and fall to the ground, you might feel a little humbled. Not that tripping is the only path to humiliation. Anyway, humility is one of those feelings that all of us have experienced at one time or another. And let's be really clear what humility is before moving on. Humility is when you view yourself as having low worth, low value, and little importance. So when someone is pointing something out that you did, that you feel embarrassed about, 
They are not really the cause of your humiliation. They are only helping you to see more clearly your own views about yourself. When someone laughs at you for dropping a plate of food and you check inward to experience how that feels, you can either laugh with them or feel shame and embarrassment. And depending on how you feel about yourself at the time, you will either feel humiliated or not. It almost sounds like a choice. But life isn't that easy to make it appear that we have a conscious choice on how to respond to someone laughing at us, is it? Don't worry. I won't tell you that you have a choice on how to respond. After all, if you did, you'd already never feel humiliated about anything. You'd choose not to and go on with life. The truth of the matter is that we already feel a certain way about ourselves before anything ever happens that might be a humiliating experience. And when something does happen... The quickest reaction is always the unconscious reaction. That's the response we give that comes from the programs that are always running in the background of our mind. These programs continuously run, waiting for the perfect time to respond. So if you believe that you're not important or valuable in any way, then situations that expose that more vulnerable side of you will make you feel more humiliated. If, however, you believe that you are important and worthy, then there is very little that someone can do to humiliate you. Even if someone were to post that picture that you wanted no one to see, you can still get through it without too much emotional scarring. And if there are things that you've done in your life that would be so humiliating if people found out that you would never be able to face anyone ever again, you may have more going on that you need to address before humiliation even takes the stage. If you can't bear the thought of your past getting exposed, then it's time to deal with your repressed anger and fear or regret so that if and when the past does sneak up on you, and it always seems to, you will be better prepared for the emotional ride. Now, whether that means talking to a trusted friend or even a trusted stranger, it's best to deal with the unbearable past now so that it doesn't lay in hiding all your life, waiting to reveal itself at the worst possible time. That is, of course, if it needs addressing. Not everything from the past needs to come up to be addressed, as long as no one has suffered or is suffering from it now. I'm not saying don't fess up to crimes you've committed, but sometimes so much time has passed and wounds have closed that the negative emotions have been worked through and the past is now in the past. But if there is any regret or hurt that still exists from the past, those events tend to have a way of reappearing when you least expect it, almost as if prompted to do so. Let's talk about some of the things you can do to prepare yourself for possible embarrassment and humiliation, or even more important, recover from something that has already happened. The very first step to take after you feel humiliated is to say, so what? That's it. So what? So what about it? What's the big deal? If someone says, yeah, but you were an idiot, all you need to say is, so what? What else you got? It's a bring it on mentality. Seriously, in the grand scheme of the entire universe, of the billions of galaxies and cosmic events where our little planet is merely a microscopic speck of all that is known and unknown, so what? We are so used to only perceiving the world through our own filters, 
our eyes, our ears, our touch, our smell, and our taste. That's how we interpret reality. And our consciousness gives reality, as we know it, meaning. So what if there's a revealing picture or video of you online? What does it matter? So what if people continue to bring up that day you were so drunk that you got that tattoo on your face? When it comes down to it, your actions do not shape the universe as we all know it. You do create your own world and your own reality, but you don't shape it for everyone else. Whatever you did that people found humorous or evil or whatever is just a speck in the universal perspective of things. Even when it's so embarrassing you can't face anyone ever again, what are those people going to do with themselves if you don't react the way they expect you to react? That's one of the best ways to thwart or divert anyone's attention on you. It's to have a so-what attitude. Hey, remember when your pants fell down and you tripped into that mud puddle? God, you were so stupid. I'm still laughing about that to this day. So what? That's old news. What else you got? I really love that bring-it-on attitude when it comes to things that people can't let go of. I said this in the Letting Go of Attachments episode, but it's worth repeating here. Every behavior in human interaction requires a counter-behavior. When people bring up embarrassing situations from your past, just develop a so-what attitude, and soon the event will fizzle because those people cannot get the same reaction from you anymore. When you don't react the same way, they have to change their behavior or move on. Otherwise, it's an exercise in futility. The next step after feeling any sort of humiliation is to ask yourself why you feel humiliated. The first answer you come up with is usually the farthest from the actual reason. You might say to yourself, I am humiliated because I don't want people to think bad about me. If that's the case, why? Why don't you want people to feel bad about you? Many people stop asking themselves questions when they come up with an answer like, just because. They'll say, I don't want people to think bad about me just because I don't want them to think bad about me. Then they won't think beyond that as to why that even matters. And many people would agree that they don't want anyone to think bad of them. But again, why? Why does it matter if someone thinks bad about you? I'm almost ready to go back to the so what segment. But since we've already talked about that, let's move forward on this idea. When someone thinks badly of you for any reason, it's always, always because of something they don't feel comfortable about within themselves. No one will ever know who we really are inside because no one can ever be us, ever. So they only know what they hallucinate to be true. I say hallucinate because someone else has no idea what's in our thoughts, what our intentions are, and what we're going to do next. And because they only make educated guesses about all that stuff, they're really just hallucinating. They're making up in their own minds all that stuff about us and really have no clue if we're inherently good or bad. Sure, they can judge us by our behavior, but even that can be misinterpreted. When you see a, a mom smacking her kid on the head, you may believe she is disciplining him. When I see it, I might see her as swatting a mosquito. We hallucinate what we believe to be true. And even if what we hallucinate turns out to be true, it doesn't mean we're always right about everything. Have you ever felt someone was a bad person only to find out they weren't so bad after all? And if not, have you ever done something that others might see as bad 
but you know you weren't being intentionally mean or hurtful? There's a belief that I have that may not be popular, but I've adopted as true to me, and it's this. Behind every behavior is a positive intention. What that means is that even some of the most evil behavior is from a place where the person wants to thrive and survive. In other words, if someone has the intention to kill someone, as horrible of an act as that may be, the act will have behind it a benefit for the person doing it. People who smoke and take drugs have the intention of wanting to feel better or calm their nerves. People who abuse other people want to feed internal desires to feel better in some way. I'm not excusing any of this behavior because a moral compass guides us and needs to be recalibrated in some people. But I am saying that no person is inherently evil. They're just trying to fulfill their needs. The problem is that some people only care about their own needs. So they take lives, they abuse others, and do many other things that most of us would find unacceptable and downright evil. However, even in the worst people, there is a positive intention behind their actions. Now, I'm mainly referring to people who are generally mentally stable and without any type of neurosis or psychosis. Sometimes a brain is just miswired and you can never predict what a neurotic person will do. But for the majority of the population, every one of our behaviors has behind it a positive intention. Most of the time, that intention is to fulfill a need within us. So when you find someone looking down at you, remember that they have a need within them that needs fulfilled. There is something missing in them that hasn't been fulfilled, so they need to look down at you to fulfill that need. Does that make sense? When people judge you or look down at you, hoping you'll be embarrassed or humiliated, they are fulfilling a need in themselves. It really has nothing to do with you because a person who has no needs has no care whether you do something or not. A person with needs, however, which is pretty much everyone I've ever met, is more likely to look down upon someone else when they themselves are uncomfortable with the situation. This is a tad challenging for some people to comprehend because if someone was looking down at us, let's just say that someone we know and trust, we tend to turn inward and ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? But the real question to ask is, I wonder what that person is lacking within themselves to see me this way. When you ask that, a whole different perception appears and you are suddenly freed from judgment. Well, that's what I'm hallucinating anyway. What's next? When someone reveals something about you or exposes something about you or simply laughs or is disgusted by you, you have a tendency to turn inward and think from a deep place inside of you. And as soon as you start to feel bad about yourself, that's when the real humiliation and embarrassment begins. This is when the process begins, when you check in with yourself. And when you check inward, you're looking at your own values, your morals, your self-esteem, self-worth, and how good you feel about yourself. And one thing that happens when humiliation kicks in is that how you feel about yourself is put to the test. If you are confident in who you are, you absolutely cannot be humiliated. If, however, there's any doubt in who you are and what you stand for in life, then humiliation and embarrassment comes easier. People's comments and behaviors put our feelings of self-worth to the test all the time. 
as soon as someone mentions something that makes you feel bad, it's not them causing that feeling in you. It's you causing that feeling in you. I'd love to tell you that it's your choice, but because that feeling comes up too quick to choose not to feel it, it's really not a choice. But you do have a choice on whether you want to deal with it when it comes up. If you deal with it, process it, and then come to terms with it, and then the next time it comes up, it won't be an issue at all. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, like I said earlier, no one knows who we really are inside. They can only assume who we are and interpret our behavior through their own filters. What one person sees as funny and okay, another person sees as bad and unacceptable. So everyone's going to have a different perspective of us no matter what we do or how hard we try to be seen in any certain way. Even with this show, I expect people to be turned off by some of the things I say. There's just no possible way that what I teach is going to be acceptable to everyone. In fact, I don't want it to be. I don't expect everyone to be in the right place in their life to apply what I'm saying. Sometimes it's not the right time for them or even the most appropriate information for their circumstances. So no matter how hard we try to come across as good or righteous, someone will come along and see us as the opposite. It's unavoidable. So remember that when someone looks down at you or judges you, your feelings about yourself will be triggered. The stronger your own self-esteem, the less likely you'll be humiliated. Don't worry, a future episode on building your self-esteem is on the way. (laughs) Remember, people can't humiliate you if you can stand proud in who you are. Even the most embarrassing situations will not affect you when you're proud. I don't encourage pride too much as it can lead to an inflating ego. But when it's an intrinsic pride where you feel it more than you brag about it, then humiliation is less likely to happen. Also remember that embarrassing circumstances are always in the past. Always. Even if they just happened 10 seconds ago. It's now in the past. You aren't the same person you were, and you've learned lots of new things since then. The past no longer exists, and even when someone brings it up, that's old news. So what? Who cares? That's the past. That's not who I am now. Let it go, because I have. (laughs) Though, what if you have done something that you can't let go? What if something is still so humiliating that to this day you just can't seem to get past it no matter what? What if you can't be proud of who you are and what you represent because that something you did was so embarrassing or maybe even so shameful that it pops into your head every time you start feeling good about yourself? That sounds like something we need to talk about. Let's get into that next. When something is clearly bothering you about your past, you can ignore it or deal with it. If you ignore it, It eventually represses back into the depths of your unconscious mind to show itself another day. And as you go through life, those thoughts are always in the background, preventing you from experiencing full satisfaction in life. When you start to get happy, those thoughts creep in and remind you of what happened. And you're limited in the amount of happiness you'll feel because of something that you keep repressing. It's not a fun way to live, and you'll likely always be unfulfilled looking for quick ways to feel better, whether that's through habits, vices, uncontrollable urges, or full-on addictions. What's ignored keeps reappearing throughout life, and you deal with it in new situations 
over and over again. If, however, you deal with it and process it and work through it, then at least you can gain some clarity, if not real peace. Instead of turning on the TV when you start to feel bad, you ask yourself questions. Or at least acknowledge any emotions that come up for you. The past has a funny way of affecting our future. In fact, the people I meet who try to avoid thinking about the past usually have a lot of pain they're repressing. They avoid it so much that they create problems for themselves in the present by giving in to the addictions and impulses. I have a family member that can't stop taking drugs because of the past pain she can't let go of. The past is continually ignored or avoided in hopes it will eventually go away, but it never does. And the temporary measures people take to forget about the past for the time being are just that, temporary. So what can you do? How do you move beyond the past so that it doesn't affect you now? It's going to be different for everyone, but I'll share with you some of the things that I did to get over years of mental abuse and fear while living with an aggressive alcoholic. The first thing I did was admit to myself the people I truly hated in life. This is something a lot of people have trouble doing, admitting that they hate someone. After all, if you hate someone, you must be a bad person, right? You've heard things like, it takes hate to know hate, or something similar, but I give you permission to admit it. Hate, hate, hate. (laughs) If you feel hatred, then admit it to yourself right now that you feel it and about who you feel it towards. And let me free you of any negative feelings you have towards that word right now, hate. Hate isn't real. It's just a strong emotion that needs setting free. Hate isn't meant to be permanent. It's just an intense, unexpressed emotion. Hate isn't supposed to last. When hate happens, it's because there's a boiling point that's reached with someone. It gets to the point where you hate the person for what they did or said. But hate isn't meant to last. It's an expression of negative emotion from deep within. Once the true feelings of hate come out, they decrease and soon disappear. And if the hate doesn't disappear, then you haven't expressed everything you need to express. It's true that you can hate some people so strongly that the hate may seem like it'll never go away. But remember what continuous hate does to you. Continually feeling hatred day after day and year after year. It decreases your energy. It makes you give into addictions and it affects your health. People with a lot of continuous hatred are usually more sick and play more of the victim role than those without an underlying hatred. But you need to express hate. You don't want to feel it indefinitely. Sometimes the negativity is so built up in you that if you just allow yourself to feel it come up so you can let it all out in a safe environment by yourself or with someone you trust, then the hatred has no choice but to decrease in intensity. If you think hatred is such a strong word and, quote, hate to use it, then that is the perfect word to use. What we tend not to say is sometimes exactly what we need to say in order to release years of pressure that's built up inside of us. When you release the hate in a minute or an hour or even a day, the hate decreases and you feel better. It doesn't mean the subject of your hate is now forgiven. It just means you finally let off some steam. We tend to hold on to things that make us angry in a way to make sure that we never forget what happened. But believe me, you won't forget. 
but you can choose to remember and not hate. It doesn't mean you have to love instead. You just need to release the pressure. Continuous, unexpressed hatred builds pressure inside of you. When you release that pressure by verbalizing it, crying it out, or yelling it out, or whatever method you choose, the hatred also has a way of dissipating. And because hatred is inside of you, by hating, you are essentially making yourself feel bad and become less and less healthy. Which begs the question: If you hang on to hate, which is worse? Hanging on to it to show the other person that they're not forgiven, or hanging on to it so that it continues to decrease your health and well-being, eventually leading to mental and physical issues that get harder and harder to fix as you grow older. What do you think wins every time? Again, a quick release of hatred by full expression turns the valve to release the pressure. If it's never expressed, you stay in hate mode and keep going downhill. So if you let go of hatred, it is one step towards building your self-esteem and self-confidence. Remember, you can't be humiliated or embarrassed if you have a strong sense of self. That includes self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem, and at least two of those can't be built upon if you are in a space of indefinite hate. Release the hate so you can start building yourself up today. So what else could be in the past that keeps you from moving forward? Have you done something so embarrassing or shameful that you simply can't bear for it to come up? Let's just say for a moment that this embarrassing thing did come up, and the person you wanted to make sure never found out about it found out. What would happen? Is it so bad that the person would never want to see you again? Is it unforgivable? Let's go to the extreme here and figure out what we can do to get past our own unforgivable past. This is the toughest one yet, but once you come to terms with what you haven't been able to forgive yourself for, then the chance for future humiliation and embarrassment can substantially decrease. Almost everyone I know has some dark secret that they don't want anyone to know about, and it's likely those secrets will never be mentioned or found out by anyone ever. So if you have no repressed negativity about those secrets. Then they're probably fine, just staying in the past, never to be brought up in your mind again. If, however, there is something that is eating away at you, and the shame you'd feel about it coming up is just too great to think about, then we want to think about it right now. Let's talk about the deepest, hardest process of all: coming to terms with our own crap. Here it is—the hardest part of the journey to healthy pride and self-esteem, coming to terms with the darkest parts of your past. Humility is when you have a low view of your own importance. If you ever feel humiliated, then there's already a part of you that feels low and unimportant. Otherwise, you can't get humiliated. When you have a strong and healthy pride in yourself, no one can humiliate you. It's just not possible. Pride can overcome silly attempts at humiliation and embarrassment. If, however, there are parts of your history that you haven't come to terms with yet, then humiliation comes a lot easier. Having done something that you aren't proud of can be a recipe for shame and/or disgrace. So, what's the answer? Let me share with you someone I used to be. When I was about fourteen, I took care of my four-year-old brother while my dad was at work. Back then, I hadn't done any personal growth on myself, 
So I still had quite a few problems, mostly due to my upbringing in an alcoholic home. I became quite a manipulative person and wasn't very nice to people who I felt I could control. Being 14 and thinking I knew everything about the world, I found a way to feel control in my world by babysitting someone younger and weaker and quite dependent on me. This was my younger brother. When my dad was at work, for the most part, I was nice to him, my brother. But I wasn't always nice. I never physically abused him, but I did manipulate him. I remember one incident where I made him eat cat food. It was funny to me, but he trusted me as his older brother, and I betrayed him by practically forcing him to eat cat food. This wasn't the only thing I did to him, but it is one thing I'll admit to the world. After a few years, I moved out of my dad's house and back into my mom and stepfather's house, eventually moving out of there and going off to live on my own. I saw my brother on occasion, but soon we lost contact with each other. I found out that he got into the wrong crowd of people and was soon doing things I didn't necessarily approve of. Fast forward several years later, when my brother calls me out of the blue to let me know my dad was on his deathbed. Well, I flew out to Florida to basically rekindle my relationship with both my dad and my brother, both of whom I hadn't seen in about 10 years. Before I flew out there, I felt this embarrassment and shame start rising within me. I remembered all the times I was mean and manipulative to my brother, and I wondered if I had influenced him to become the person he eventually became. I realized that I likely had a big influence on him, and was probably at least partially responsible for the decisions he eventually made in life. You know, those decisions I didn't agree with. Was I the one who pushed him into the wrong crowd of people? This was a question I started battling with a few years previously, but it was now coming to a head because I was about to go see my brother once again. So before I left for Florida, I told myself that I would apologize to my brother. Even though he never mentioned his childhood and nor did he ever say that I was ever mean to him, I still felt responsible and I still felt that it was unfinished business. You may have heard me talk about open loops before. I thought this was an open loop in my life and I wanted to close this loop one way or another. So I decided that no matter what he thought about me, whether he believed I had anything to do with his decisions in life, I was going to apologize to him. And after arriving in Florida and getting settled, I had a heart-to-heart with him, and I told him how sorry I was for the way I treated him when he was younger. He wasn't even sure what I was talking about, and I said that's okay as long as he knew that I remember what I did, and I'm sorry. He accepted that, and the rest of my visit went great. Well, except for my father dying, it was great. My father didn't die during my visit, and I was happy to see him, of course, but there were definitely multiple reasons for my visit. But ever since then... Even though I didn't feel pride in what I did to my brother, I feel good knowing that I somehow made it right. I came to terms and admitted what I did and apologized. The point of my story is to ask you what you can do to come to terms with your past. Is there someone you need to apologize to? And is that person still here? And if not, and you still feel the need to apologize, are there other ways to do it? Maybe you can visit them in your mind or somewhere where you can be alone, where you can imagine them next to you. There are many ways to be with someone that is no longer here. And maybe it's not an apology, or maybe it is. But whatever it is, if it needs closure, now is the time.
And what if there is something unforgivable in your past? If that's the case, then how can you come to terms with it? What can you do that will help others through the same situation? Do you know people or organizations that have dealt with things like this where you can volunteer your time? I'm not saying you have to do this, but if there's really no getting past what happened, then it's time to give as much as you can. You may not be able to take back what happened, but you can give back. What you give and where you give is something you need to decide. But something happens when you give. Something that is unexplainable. But everyone, and I mean everyone I talk to who gives, seems to get something back. And those that give with absolutely no strings attached get the most back. These are the people who don't want anything in return, yet it comes. When you have a hole in your past, it slowly fills by giving and helping others. We're all told to volunteer and give where we can, but when you have lost something along the way in life, then giving is a way to get some of it back. Not because you should give to get back, but because giving is the gift of fulfillment to both the person you are giving to and yourself. So if there's something that is unforgivable in your life, then it's time to forgive to others. Not for what you will get in return, but for the meaning and purpose it will bring to your life. I believe that our meaning and purpose in this life is defined by how much meaning and purpose we can give to others in our lifetime. I realize that not everyone believes that, but if you were to adopt that belief, do you think that somehow your life would get better as a result? It wouldn't hurt to try, that's for sure. You don't have to live in the dark anymore. If you have that unforgivable past, then let the light shine out of you and onto others. You obviously have that in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interested in learning and growing by listening to shows like this. When there is meaning in your life, there is passion and drive. There is true purpose. That's when life gets interesting. So let's go over what we learned. First thing, it's hard to be embarrassed or humiliated about anything if you develop a so what attitude. So what? What else you got? Is that the worst of it? So what? When you feed others what they want to hear, you'll keep the fire lit. When you say, so what? People will start to realize they can't affect you anymore. They may say, so what? You don't care? What kind of person are you? But don't let their words steer you into anything else but, so what? You can usually stop the cycle of abuse, which is what it can turn into when people won't drop a subject, by simply adopting a so what attitude. The second thing we learned is to ask ourselves, why? Why do I feel humiliated? The first answer is never the answer. It's a lead into a deeper place. Continue asking probing questions of yourself And you'll find that the deeper you go, the more revealing the answers become. And if you have trouble doing this with yourself, find someone to help you. Usually, people can see us more objectively than we see ourselves. Also, when others are attempting to humiliate you, remember people look down upon other people because of how they feel about themselves. The way they feel is never about you. Otherwise, they wouldn't feel that way. You have to feel negativity to express negativity. But also remember that behind every behavior 
is an intention to help ourselves through a situation. We learned how to survive by developing behaviors that got us through the tough times. When someone makes fun of us, they are using what they know in order to survive. It's extreme to think that way, I realize, because most people don't have to figure out how to survive. But a lot of our thinking does derive from pure survival needs. So it's no surprise when some people display somewhat unusual behavior. It's helpful to realize that they learned this behavior somewhere along their journey in life, but haven't realized that it may no longer work for them. The third thing to remember is that people's comments and behaviors towards us are putting our feelings of self-worth to the test all the time. People don't cause us to feel bad. We can only do that to ourselves. If there's already a self-worth issue inside of us, then by someone commenting or putting us down, we check in with our self-worth to see if it's true. If there's any part of us that believes it, we feel bad. This doesn't excuse anyone's behavior, but it does remind us that other people must also be in a fragile place too, and they don't know how to express themselves in a resourceful way. Remember that people can't humiliate or embarrass you if you can stand proud in who you are. The fourth item we talked about has to do with preventing humiliation to begin with. And one thing you can do is to admit to yourself the worst of the worst. Who do you hate? Who do you want dead? Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. Verbalization of emotions helps release the emotions. You'll find that after you express this in a safe environment, that the energy behind the emotions dissipates. And maybe you won't feel that hate anymore. Maybe you'll just be indifferent towards that person. You can still dislike someone and want nothing to do with them, but your anger or disdain towards them will no longer have power over you. Remember, the more intense the negative emotion towards someone else, the more power they have over you. Release those emotions and you are free of their power. It's possible you're stuck with them in one way or another, but your psychological state will be free of their grip. Hate isn't meant to be permanent. It's meant to be expressed. Once expressed, there's no need for it to exist anymore. The last item we talked about is that if you have an unforgivable past, by your own definition, not anyone else's, then give. Give what you've learned to others so that they will not follow the same path. And if you can't do that, find other ways to give. Giving brings meaning and purpose and passion to your life. There's no need to live with the pain of regret, especially when there are other people that really need what you have to offer the world. After my brother crashed on his skates, we managed to find a water spigot at the back of the building and got him cleaned up. He was a little dazed and confused, but we managed to skate home to get a better assessment of the damage to his face. In the end, it turned out the cut wasn't so bad and his teeth were stronger than we expected. He managed to get through the ordeal in a matter of days. But for months and even years later, I laughed about that event. And many years after that, I often wondered why I laughed instead of jumping into an instant compassion mode. It was a mystery for the longest time, that is, until I learned why we sometimes laugh at the misfortune of others. When he stumbled, it was like a physical comedy, but knowing he was in pain 
didn't stop the laughter at all. I felt bad for laughing, yet I couldn't stop. Why? There are several theories out there. I've read about the activation of mirror neurons inside of our body, which basically trigger the same neurons in us as the person going through the experience, triggering us to respond or react. I've also read about the term play frame, which tells us that something serious in a non-serious context creates a polarized response in us. In other words, to some people, watching someone walking on a balance beam and falling off is common and appropriate for the context. After all, people learn how to use a balance beam by learning how not to fall off. It's all part of the experience. However, if you watch the same person crossing a parking lot and tripping over a curb, you might have the urge to laugh. It's not a common occurrence. Though, I'm sure if you saw people trip over the same curb over and over again, you'd finally get used to it and it wouldn't be funny anymore. You expect it, therefore, it isn't funny. And that's where laughter tends to come from. Unexpected circumstances in a safe context. An unsafe context might be someone running from a burning building and tripping as he runs out the door. This may not be humorous, but a person running from a building for seemingly no reason then tripping out the door could be seen as hilarious, at least to some people. The unexpected makes us laugh, especially when there is no apparent danger. I thought my brother would be fine, but when he crashed, it was so unexpected, I laughed. It was probably a defense mechanism inside of me, or those mirror neurons, or something else, but the cause was the unexpected occurrence of the event. It has to be surprising, or it won't be funny. So when your pants fall down as you lift that box, you will surprise others, and they will likely laugh. Even the most empathetic people have laughed at things that weren't funny to the person it was happening to, not because they didn't care, but likely because they were surprised and it triggered their nervous system to respond. And once the nervous system kicks in, it's hard to stop the laughter. I don't know the science behind it, but I do know that it isn't a judgment and more of a knee-jerk, unconscious reaction. Similar to when you're threatened and fight-or-flight kicks in. When you're surprised by something non-threatening, laugh or cry kicks in. It's automatic. So the next time you hear someone laughing at something you did, just say, so what? And laugh along with them. Life will be so much easier when you can enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. If you get a chance, head over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and sign up for your weekly personal growth message. If you want to contact me for any reason, send an email to paul at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And if you find this show valuable to you, the best way to make sure it keeps going and going is to go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash Amazon before you make your next purchase from them. You'll be forwarded to Amazon's site and the overwhelmed brain will get a small percentage of every purchase you make. You don't pay anymore and it's a way to say thank you for the show. Now that you have all the tools you need to never be humiliated again, uh huh. <laughs> know that almost everyone has something they are embarrassed, ashamed, or humiliated about. You are not alone. Just think about that for a minute. What's the difference between slipping on a banana peel in front of your friends and slipping on a banana peel with your friends? If you treat them as one and the same, you can't be humiliated. After all, humiliation comes when you feel that you're alone in a situation. 
And if you find the sudden urge to laugh at someone else, it may be hard to stop. But you can say this to yourself. That could have been me. This will help bring you back to a more compassionate place. But still, sometimes the laughter is unavoidable. But so what? Focus on what's right here and what's to come. You have a light that shines so bright in you that it's impossible to conceal. So just let it guide your way into your amazing potential. And keep in mind that no matter what you've done in your past and what you're going to do in your future, right here and right now, you are amazing. Amazing.